Truth News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. We're not the keeper of the truth slash facts, but we do keep them. And we share them with you every day here. And thank you for joining us on the last day of the work week. And I know you've got a great weekend planned ahead. It's got to be great. It's getting cold in northwest Louisiana. They're getting six feet of snow today and tonight in Buffalo, New York. It's not officially winter yet, but guess what? It's winter time, and it's a great time. We had a fire this morning, and I know for those of you that live up north or places around the globe where you got mountains and you're listening in, you got that, and you take it for granted. We don't take real cold weather for granted in northwest Louisiana because we don't get it a lot. And I don't know if you remember, but not last year, but the year before, we had our own version of a blizzard. I forget how much snow we got here, but nobody could move. We were paralyzed. We couldn't even get out of our driveway. And before you make fun of us Southerners, let me explain why. Normally up north, when it snows, it snows. And it just keeps piling up as it snows. And it freezes harder and, you know, it gets packed and all that kind of stuff. Not in Louisiana. People up north that deal with weather, cold weather conditions, they don't understand. In Louisiana, what happens when we get any kind of snowfall? Before we get the snowfall, we get a bunch of rain. And then everything freezes and we have a glaze of ice over everything. And then if it's going to snow, it snows. So the snow's there, but it's on top of a bunch of ice. And as you know, when you're driving down the road in those conditions, it's almost like you're on a skating rink because your brakes don't work. Your steering wheel doesn't work. And you're at the whims of ice on the roads. We're not there yet. But we we got an, even right now, we got a nice fire going. And it feels kind of good. It feels kind of good. This is a season I like. We have Thanksgiving next week. And then just a month later, we have Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is here? Oh, my gosh. Just getting ready for it. It's a lot of work. We don't have any babies in our family anymore. Our youngest turned 14, our grandson. He's the baby of the family. And so we don't have any babies. And so what does that mean, Dan? I'm looking for some great grand babies. So my oldest, my oldest grandson, he needs to go to work. He's not even married yet. I don't even think right now he's dating anyone seriously. But I like having grandbabies, I kind of got the idea having a great grandbaby is going to be a lot more fun. And for those of you that are listening to me and you're younger than I am, maybe a generation or so behind me, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's just more responsibility. That only means you're getting old. Well, guess what? Not getting old is not so good because if you're not getting old, You've assumed room temperature, to quote Rush Limbaugh. In other words, 
you're dead. I don't want to be there right now. Although I'm not afraid of death, I'm just kind of picky and choosy. (laughs) I don't want to go down anytime soon. So welcome to the show today. Let me just look back over our shoulder at yesterday's show. If you were not here, you did not hear one of the greatest interviews and the most important interviews we've ever had with Dr. Eric Naputi of Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. And what we did after the show, we edited that interview out of the two-hour show, and we put an intro and an outro on it on both ends and put it in MP3 format. It is on our website today. How do you get to it? Well, the whole story today is about Dr. Eric. And uh, so what we did was we put that link to the show on that page to make it easy for you to access. So just go to the website, truthnewsnet.org, truthnewsnet.org, and you'll see the main story of the headlines on page one of the of the website. You'll see that story about Dr. Naputi. And just scroll down, and you'll see a hyperlink. All you got to do is click on it. It'll go to a player immediately, and you can listen to it live there, or you can just right-click on that hyperlink and then put it where you want to be on your your laptop, your iPad, or your computer and listen to it as you want to, whenever you want to, free of charge. It's about, I guess, maybe 19, 20 minutes long. I didn't, I don't remember exactly how long it is, but let me tell you, it's worth every second. This guy, we think the Grennan family, you know, the ones that have been in jail, Mark Grennan was in Columbia with one of the sons and his other two sons were in federal prison in Miami. He was in federal prison in Columbia for over a year and a half with his son. And he was down there because he's a medical missionary. He and his son were down there doing their work. And they got crosswise with Dr. Anthony Fauci about medical things. And the parallels between the Grinnan story and Dr. Naputi are eerily similar. And I know you remember Mark Grinnan. We've had him on TNN Live, actually live from a, a jail cell three different times. So make sure you listen to yesterday's cover story interview and just go to the webpage at truthnewsnet.org. Read the little bit of story that's there and then listen to that interview. There are a lot of changes that were undergoing already and still the Congress, the new Congress, will not take place, formally be seated until January 3rd for the House of Representatives, January 3rd. And the House Republicans will be in control. As of now, they have 219 seats in in Congress that have been confirmed. There's still five, five different elections that we're waiting for results of House positions. So it could go as high as 224. Let's hope that's where it goes because that would give a little pad in in the majority position because typically, as you know, It's not about all the time voting with the crowd. Sometimes members of Congress have a conscience. (laughs) And when a piece of legislation is in front of them, they'll just vote the way their conscience tells them and spurn the political perspective. Sometimes I don't like that. Why? Well, it sounds good to say they're speaking their mind, they're minding their consciences, 
But sometimes some of those opposing votes are not for those reasons, they're for monetary reasons, i.e., some big campaign supporter gave them a big paycheck, and so therefore they're obligated when legislation comes before them that is something going to be good for that person that wrote the check. They feel obligated to do that instead of vote the other way. That happens. Remember, we say it every day almost, the love of money is the root of all evil. Nobody, even those in Congress or the White House, are exempt. And I've I've got a great big example of that that happened very quietly here in the United States, and it's Joe Biden. He's done another big one, folks, behind the scenes, buying favor from overseas. I'm going to keep you guessing. I'm not going to tell you about that. But we're going to segue into today's program. We're going to start right here. And where is right here? Conservatives like me and you, honestly, we can't run and hide from the left anymore. Conservatives, all of us, have got to take a stand, and we've got to be willing to fight. And if it comes to a fight, we can't just say, I'm committed to do it. We're going to have to jump in the fray. One of the comforting fictions that conservatives are increasing in numbers, tempted to tell themselves and others, is that if they just move to a red state or county, the insanity of the woke left won't affect them and their families. Well, entrenched in safely Republican communities, perhaps they'll be free, not just from the disastrous Democrat policies, but also from those pernicious sexual propaganda reports from the left. For conservatives with children... This is really important, but it's a mirage. There is no American town or hamlet remote or red enough to prevent the infiltration of leftist ideology, which today often comes from institutions that in an earlier era would have been seen as the guardians of a decidedly Christian civic virtue. No more. Not only are these left-wing activists taking over our institutions, educational and otherwise, they're also working to ban conservatives, and especially Christians, from speaking out in public altogether. There is nowhere today that conservatives can run and hide from the left. just can't be done. They can either surrender or stand up and fight. Consider, as an example, what's playing out in a small town in Texas, Taylor, Texas, population 16,807. It's situated about 40 miles northeast of deep blue Austin, the capital of Texas. It's long been precisely the kind of place conservative families might just move to raise their kids. It's a quiet and peaceful little town full of churches in a deep red part of the Lone Star State. For decades, Taylor was staged a Christmas, not holiday parade, a Christmas parade down Main Street. The Taylor Christmas Parade of Lights is a beloved tradition that for the past decade or so has been organized under the auspices of the Taylor Area Ministerial Alliance, or TAMA, a coalition of a bunch of different churches, different denominations. 
Last year, as a result of an oversight in the application process, here we go, you know what's coming, an LGBT advocacy group called Taylor Pride was included in the parade. The oversight in this case was that the old ladies who volunteer to organize the parade and process float applications had never heard of a group called Taylor Pride and didn't know what it was. And no wonder, before the summer of 2021, the group had never staged any kind of public event. So by the time parade organized, uh, when they found out it was too late, two men dressed in drag, one as a female Santa and the other scandally clad in glitter, were suggestively gyrating to dance music on the Taylor Pride float as it rolled down Main Street in the annual Christmas parade. As it happened right in front of a float for St. Mary's Catholic School, which was full of kids, children. As you can imagine, parents and attendees that were there, they were understandably outraged. Right after the parade, Tama decided that in the future, parade entries must be consistent with traditional biblical and family values, and they made an announcement to that effect ahead of this year's parade. The point, as Tama's statement made clear, it was not to exclude anybody into individuals or groups from attending or even participating in the parade, but to ensure that the floats were family-friendly and not contrary to Christian teachings. And so here it comes. In response, the Taylor City Council announced it would stage a separate city-sponsored parade calling it the Very Merry Holiday Parade and Celebration on the same night as the traditional Tama Parade, following immediately behind it on the same route for the express purpose of giving Taylor Pride and any other LGBT groups a parade of their own. As a recent post on the city of Taylor's official Facebook page explained, the city is doing this because we are committed to being inclusive and diverse in the city of Taylor. That that sounds benign enough to me. A spokesman for the city has since falsely characterized the situation to at least one local news outlet, saying Tama had, quote, made it clear they did not want certain people to be a part of the parade, and they were going to go in a little bit of a different direction and make it a little bit more exclusive. This is exactly the opposite of what's happened. The only thing that's changed is that Tama has realized that LGBT groups like Taylor Pride have targeted their town and attempted, with some success, to infiltrate and undermine their traditional civic celebrations of Christmas. So they decided they're going to push back and insist on the survival of their traditions. Good for them. The point here is that Taylor might as well be every conservative community in America. It's located in Texas's 31st congressional district, one of two congressional districts in Texas that have never been represented by a Democrat. They, no doubt about it, are red. Voters there just re-elected Republican Representative John Carter for the 11th time and he ran unopposed. 
Taylor also sits in Williamson County, where nearly every elected office is held by a Republican. Indeed, Taylor's the very last place in the country where a family attending a Christmas parade organized by a coalition of local churches would expect to see two men in drag dancing inappropriately on a float that rolls down Main Street in a Christmas parade. Yet, like many such towns across our country, the city council and municipal staff are eager to prove just how enlightened and woke they really are. Send in the drag queen holiday floats. By now, Christians in Taylor must surely know that next year, there will be only one parade down Main Street in December. And it won't be the Taylor Christmas Parade of Lights. Unless they vote the city council out of office and clean house and city hall, traditions like the Christmas Parade will soon be a thing of the past in Taylor. Another lost battle in our never-ending war of attrition against the left. Same goes for the public library and the public schools. If conservatives don't take them over, the left is going to take them over. It might just be one small town in Texas, but it stands as a cautionary tale to you and me. I don't care where you live. It isn't enough to move to a red state or a Republican district within a state. You are going to have to fight the left and win the fight. Or there's only one other option. Surrender. Surrender to them. There's nowhere else to hide. We're living like never before in an era of do the right thing. Do the right thing. Forget about wokeness. Forget about trying to analyze both sides and how they're thinking and where they're coming from. You, you pray. You search your own conscience. And you do the right thing. Forget about everybody else and what they think you should do, what they want you to do. You do what's right period. If we go back to that with our values, it's going to be tough. There's no question about it. It's going to be tough. But you know what? Being tough, it's not so bad because at least we're doing something and we're making decisions and acting on decisions about the things that we face every day and we're facing them, thinking about finding them and doing the right thing. It's close to Thanksgiving. We're just a week away from Thanksgiving, less than a week. Are you excited about Thanksgiving? What do you have on your plate? Honestly, plates around America are either going to be much more expensive to put on the table, or people won't be putting those Thanksgiving plates on the table at all. Many the menu's going to change dramatically. We live in a real world, we really do, where we have to deal with the circumstances that we find ourselves in, even at holiday times. So one word of um, encouragement, it's all going to work out in the wash. It really is. At some point, we're going to get our hands around the 
policies that have caused all this, and we'll get them straightened out. But before we can do that, we've got to face the facts, find the truth in the facts, and make decisions that will stop things like our inflation, the woke policies that are scourging our kids, and we find out they've been teaching our kids that for at least a decade. And so we may have lost that generation because it's entrenched in their minds. We've got to face facts. And then we've got to figure out what to do and then go for it, hook, line, and sinker. I encourage you the next week, you need to engage with people that are not members of your immediate family. They may be long-term, you know, cousins of cousins, that kind of thing. But people that need an encouraging word, that need a lift because Many of us are blessed where inflation's not a disastrous situation for us to face. There are a lot of people that can't do that. A lot of people on fixed income, and though we're at eight point whatever percent in inflation, we mentioned this yesterday, if we were using today, if our economists and our government were using today the same measures that were being used back in the Jimmy Carter days, they changed it all. Why would they change the ways they're figuring that? Well, to make it look better instead of real. If we were using the measures from 1979, our inflation now would be 18%, not 8%, but 18%. And what does that mean for the holidays? It means we have some families that may not have a great Thanksgiving dinner and certainly may not have a good Christmas. Find one such family, one such family. If you don't know how to find one, call any church in your community and say, hey, we're looking for a family that is in dire need and will not have a real Thanksgiving dinner and a real Christmas. Do you have a program in your church that we can donate into or we can get some names of these families, phone numbers, and an address. We want to reach out to them and help them. Just do it to one family. If every American family would do that this Thanksgiving and Christmas season, just do it for one family. You would be changing the lives of people because they would see there are still people that are honest and giving in this nation and are concerned about others and are not just stuck up on themselves. That's what the holiday season's supposed to be about, right? Well, we need to get there. Well, let's move on. We got a lot of things going on that are not good right now. We're going to get into some of them. FTX. Didn't even know anything about it until a couple of weeks ago. What is FTX? That's that cryptocurrency exchange operation that finds itself in real deep trouble. It's CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. He's known as CBF. That's what everybody calls him. I'm sorry, SBF. He's the guy that founded it. He's the guy that was running it. And it looks more and more every day like it was nothing more than a, a Ponzi scheme. Same kind of thing as Madoff. And you remember how many people and how much money they lost. This, it looks like, is going to eclipse 
Bernie Madoff's operations and what he did. We'll get into a little bit of what is facing ahead in detail, but many of you, like me, what's going on? I don't understand the FTX debacle. Can you explain it to me? Over $150 billion. In three days, that's how much the world's 15 largest cryptocurrencies lost in market value. It's because of the crypto exchange platform FTX, which is behind this token, named FTT. On November 6th, the token's value began to fall, losing more than 80% of its worth in the span of 72 hours. Once seen as a survivor in a struggling market, the fall of FTX has sent shockwaves through the cryptocurrency industry. So, what went wrong? FTX is the brainchild of Sam Bankman-Fried. He's commonly known as SBF on social media. He's been previously hailed as a savior of the crypto industry. And you were called the JP Morgan yep. of crypto. Yep. Does that bother you or did not? It doesn't bother me too much. Bankman Fried founded the quantitative trading firm Alameda Research in 2017. Two years later, he started FTX, an exchange platform for buying or selling cryptocurrencies. Right now, he's the majority owner of both firms. That kind of aroused some skepticism among industry players and traders, investors, stakeholders, that there could be some sort of conflict of interest in terms of whether Alameda Research was getting preferential treatment on FTX, vice versa. But the official narrative that SBF gave in the past is that the two companies are, are separate entities. After its launch, FTX attracted major investments from Silicon Valley and Wall Street. You know, we've raised a few billion dollars over the course of the last uh, last couple of years, and we're a profitable business. It grew into the fourth largest cryptocurrency exchange for derivatives trading. Celebrities promoted the platform in ads. I'm getting into crypto with FTX. You in? It's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. FTX was gaining steam, and in the process, often tussled with Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange by volume. When FTX was getting started, Binance invested in FTX, and it was one of the crypto exchange's earliest investors. But FTX, as we know, grew really rapidly and became a very substantial rival to Binance. As FTX grew in the industry, Bankman-Fried furthered his reputation as a crypto savior when digital asset prices collapsed earlier this year. It's not fair to customers. He bailed out firms, spending about a billion dollars. It's okay to do a deal that is moderately bad in, in bailing out a place. But that image didn't last. On November 2nd, Coindesk published a report based on a leaked Alameda balance sheet. According to the leaked data, Alameda claimed it had over $14 billion in assets at the end of June. But most of that was FTX's tokens. Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison tweeted that the balance sheet wasn't complete. Caroline also said its financial situation is under control, the company is doing well. However, it seems like the market just didn't really buy that, and then traders um, continue to withdraw from FTX. FTX and Alameda did not respond to a request for comment. Things escalated on November 6th, when Binance said it would offload hundreds of millions of dollars of FTT. Binance did not respond to a request for comment. The announcement sparked mass withdrawals. That day, FTX processed $4 billion of transactions, many times the normal amount for a day. Some got backlogged, which sparked demand for more. 
By November 7th, that number ballooned to $6 billion. On the 8th, a day later, FTX's finances were in crisis. Binance stepped in and said it would buy the company. It seemed like FTX might have solved its liquidity problem. But on the 9th, Binance backed out of the non-binding acquisition. The next day, the journal reported that FTX used money from customers to fund risky bets made by Alameda. It's a shocking revelation for a lot of people in the industry because even though there has been a lot of speculation about FTX and Alameda Research being joined at the hip, nobody could have foreseen that SBF was willing to transfer billions of customer funds at the, his crypto exchange to help his crypto trading firm. The Securities and Exchange Commission and Justice Department are investigating FTX, according to a person familiar with the matter. This is not like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. They take people's money, they borrow against it, it's, it's not much disclosure, and then they trade against their customers. A spokesperson for the Justice Department declined to comment. Bankman-Fried told investors that FTX couldn't cover withdrawals since its collateral was dropping in value and couldn't be liquidated according to people familiar with the matter. On the 11th, Bankman-Fried resigned as CEO and FTX and Alameda filed for bankruptcy. Afterwards, FTX said it was probing a potential hack. More than $370 million worth of crypto funds appeared to be missing, according to crypto analytics firm Elliptic. On the 12th, the journal reported that Alameda and FTX executives knew that FTX had lent its customers money to Alameda. So a lot of uh, retail traders and investors I've talked to are feeling desperate or frustrated. The majority of the people in the industry could not have seen this coming because FTX is such a dominant player. The fallout has led other companies to tout their reserves and call for more transparency in the industry. As of November 11th, according to the bankruptcy filing, FTX's estimation of their liabilities would make it the largest crypto-related bankruptcy ever filed. There you have it. And it's not a good story, but let me tell you, it gets worse. It turns out that we find out that he donated tens, no hundreds of millions of dollars to candidates for the 2022 midterm elections. And I bet you can figure out probably where I'm going with this. Who Oh, who are the chief candidates that received campaign contributions? Well, FTX filed for bankruptcy last Friday, and so what happens then? All of the details of financial transactions in bankruptcy court have got to be revealed. The 30-year-old donated $27 million to Protect Our Future PAC which is a left-leaning group which in turn spend heavily on behalf of Democrat candidates for the House. A contribution of over $10 million from Protect Our Future PAC benefited Carrick, Carrick Flynn, who lost his Democrat primary up in Oregon. Other beneficiaries include Representative Lucy McBath, Representative Chantel Brown, Representative Robert Garcia, and Representative Valerie Fauché, all of whom won re-election, all of whom are Democrats. 
Bankman-Fried also contributed a million bucks to the Senate Majority PAC, which supports Democrat candidates for the Senate, six million to the House Majority PAC. During the 2020 election cycle, he was the second largest donor to the Biden campaign. Bankman-Fried directly supported a number of individuals, candidates as well. Two such candidates, Representative Kevick Hearn, who's a Republican from Oklahoma, Representative Jesus Chuy Garcia, a Democrat from Illinois, donated their respective $5,000 and $2,900 contributions to charity after FTX filed for bankruptcy last Friday. FTX co-CEO Ryan Salami donated heavily to the right-leaning organizations, according to more data. $12 million he he, uh, invested or he contributed to American Dream Federal Action, which is a right-leaning group, which spent on behalf of candidates like victorious Republican Senate nominee Ted Budd, Katie Britt of North Carolina, and Alabama, respectively. Salami also contributed $2 million to the Congressional Leadership Fund and $2.5 million to the Senate Leadership Fund, which are the Republican equivalents of the House Majority PAC and the Senate Majority PAC. The latter group, which is directed by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, came under criticism after the midterms for arguably deprioritizing important swing state races that were critical to Republicans. Bankman-Fried, who is a self-proclaimed, quote, effective altruist, altruist, close quotes, had been preparing to spend as much as a billion dollars during the 2024 election to keep the Democrat Party in control of the White House. His parents, Stanford Law School professors Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed, are well-connected within Democrat circles. The former aided Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's a Democrat from Massachusetts, with drafting financial regulations, while the latter leads Mind the Gap, a left-wing organization that raises funds for the Democrats among wealthy Silicon Valley donors. Earlier this year, Bankman-Fried launched an initiative alongside Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation to fundraise for that embattled nation, which has gotten billions in humanitarian military aid from the Biden administration, which is technically from me and you, marking the first example of a cryptocurrency exchange providing a conduit for crypto donations to a public financial institution. So, politicians up to their eyeballs in FTX. Let me just say this as we go to our first break. This is going to take forever. (laughs) I mean forever to get to the bottom of it, if we ever will. We'll keep our eyes on it, and I know you're going to get tired of hearing about FTX, but it is a very deep and wide negative thing that happened to millions of Americans. And there are a lot of people, incidentally, a lot of investments in this fund came from money market funds and pension funds. So what happens when that happens? Well, the money market funds, they have those that are invested by individuals, by IRAs, by other types of retirement fund. 
and that gets reduced from those funds, the assets no longer there, and the people that invested in those funds lose it all. And some of these pension funds have tens of millions of dollars invested in it. I have friends who invested in it, one or two of them a significant amount of money. It's gone. It just disappeared. We'll find out, maybe not all of it, we, we're, we're still trying to find out a, a number that we can put our tag on and say this is the real number. That number, that loss number, it keeps growing every day. This is going to make Bernie Madoff look like a kid that sold a Tootsie Pop from the C store when he was a kid. This guy, folks, he stole billions of dollars from American citizens, many of who can't afford to lose it. When we come back, guess where we're going? We're going to Maricopa County. That's Phoenix. And there's still uproar in Maricopa County. And they still haven't named officially who won the gubernatorial race. And that's not the only race in America that is heavily contested still today. Oh, my gosh. It's Friday. Y'all get that figured out, Arizona. I mean, it used to not be that way. What changed? Starting in 2020, you guys just can't figure it out. We know you're smarter than that. Well, there's news from there. That and much more right after this. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, ah, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today.
trying to find a little peace, a little peaceful music to get us feeling peaceful in the middle of this election stuff that's going on. All the way back to Maricopa County we go this morning. Republican voters are really frustrated with Maricopa County's handling of the midterm election, and they blasted the county's Board of Supervisors two days ago, and they called for a new election. I'm just disgusted by your behavior and the decisions that you made. Look at all these people out here suffering so badly because of your lies. That came from Sheila Roberts of Phoenix during the board's public comment portion. While Roberts said she was pretty frustrated by the ballot tabulation process on election day, she wanted transparency and truth and look every one of us in the eyes. Please think about what you're doing. Represent all of us and make sure all those votes get counted. There was another person, Matt Baker of Phoenix. He began shouting at board members when it was his turn to talk. Once again, the eyes of the world are upon Maricopa County for another botched election, he said. Am I here to accuse you of stealing the vote? Heavens no. That would make me a terrorist, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it would, man. (laughs) They got the right out of D.C. to do just that. He continued, what's more valuable, your vote or your money? County election officials estimate that 20% of ballot tabulating equipment experienced problems on election day in the county. Now, let me tell you this. I'm going to weigh in here. These residents of Maricopa County aren't the only ones that are sitting here scratching our heads. Of course, they're out there screaming and hollering, but the rest of us are saying this. And you know exactly what I'm going to say. They had plenty of time to not just get these tabulation machines, but to set them up and run some dry runs to make sure that on election day, they had everything done okay. And they didn't do that. And obviously, the same thing is happening as happened two years ago in Maricopa County. They can't get the results. The definition of insanity, remember that? Doing the same thing again and again and again, just the same way you did it the first, the second, and the third time, and expecting that you're going to get different results. Those uncounted ballots in Maricopa County, numbering in excess of 17,000 still, that didn't get read went into a separate box for later counting at the Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center in Phoenix. An estimated 25,000 ballots remained uncounted as of three days ago. At least a dozen speakers, mostly Republicans, voiced their frustrations about the problems with the county's electoral process at that board meeting on Wednesday. Most comments reflected a level of mistrust for the county's electoral system not seen since 2020. Well, that was the last election. It's important that we hear the comments from the people who would like to speak today, so I have chosen to put this on the agenda. That came from the Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates, not the Bill Gates, but Little Bill in Phoenix. Everybody is going to be treated the same. Everyone will have the same time with two minutes to speak, he said. Part and particle of particle. Listen to me. <laughs> part, 
part and parcel of everything I've been saying, we're not going to have any outburst. We're not going to laugh. We're not going to clap. We're going to comment and move on to the next person. So the next person calling the election in Maricopa County a sham. Robert Canterbury of Phoenix said the county has become the laughing stock of the nation. He said Senator uh, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs should have received her recused herself. I didn't realize it. I was told she recused herself, but she's on the ballot as, as governor, running for governor, and she's over the election processes and the results. That seems like a bit of a conflict of interest to me, just saying. How many disenfranchised voters in this election are not going to vote in 2024 because they know that the same people in charge of the last two elections are going to be in charge of that one again? It's horrible. Nobody trusts anybody. They're supposed to believe that this committee has free and fair elections and puts them out there in Phoenix and the rest of the state. Michelle Dillard of Phoenix said, we can't accept these results. This is an illegitimate election. It is your job to provide the remedy. We want a secure, fair election. Make that happen. That's what 99 and 9 tenths percent of the nation, of the voters across the nation, they desperately want. And you know what? Let me just throw this little tidbit out there for your consideration. It may have been a free and fair and accurate election, a real representation of the people of Maricopa County as their votes are processed and tabulated and posted in their system. It may be fair. It may be truthful. But knowing and watching the process be so broken and there are so many interruptions when it should just be a very smooth and simple process, and the same thing happened in 2020, and it's happening now in 2022. People lose confidence. You screw it up once, well, that's a mistake. You screw it up twice, I don't know about it. And in most circumstances in life, you don't give it a third shot. Whoever it is, you make changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Don't expect the same results over and over again, are going to change unless you change them. That's what needs to happen in Maricopa County and a bunch of other places all around the United States. But the people that are in charge politically, and in most places, that has been Democrats. They like it being confusing. And they like having, having openings in which they can interject themselves and their opinions and maybe a vote of two or three or four. Part of the problem is the coronavirus mail-in ballot process. It was, again, put in place in many of the 50 states, and it was put in by the states in different kinds of operations with different rules regarding mail-in ballots. Somebody's got to take control of it and come up with a process that's fair and just, and it works every time. I don't know who that would be. I don't know how they would do it. But even if it was, 
each state appointed a committee that would be over that, and they would answer to the Secretary of State in their various states. And so their Secretary of State and their committee, we have a big Zoom meeting, and representatives from all 50 states, they come up with a method, a process of mail-in ballots, all of the rules, regulations, who can do it, when they have to do it, how they have to do it, it would make it so easy. It would be so, it would be a job to do the process. But once you get the process in place and everybody across the nation does it, and most of all, the American people and the people in each state, they get it. They would understand and they would have regain and have some confidence in their state governments. Meanwhile, back to D.C. The House Oversight and Reform Committee yesterday, they advanced a bill that would enable mail-in ballots for federal elections to be tracked. Here we go. This bill would require that any ballot mailed in a federal election include a Postal Service barcode on the envelope that is unique to that particular ballot. That came from Representative Carolyn Maloney, the chairman of the committee, who had introduced the bill. We can now track packages around the world. They have a barcode. You can track it as a consumer. This would allow the individuals to track their own ballot. This common sense requirement should enable boards of elections to confirm when a ballot was sent and given voters confidence that their votes have been casted and counted. She said the bill would also require envelopes containing ballots to include a specific identifier which will help ensure timely sorting and delivery of the ballots. Ensuring election officials and voters have the resources to track the status of their ballots would create even more peace of mind and confidence and further protect the sanctity of our election, she said. And guess what? The bill passed the committee by a vote of 34 to 5. Yay! It looks like it may be going somewhere. Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, the ranking member of the committee, he said he supports the measure because it'll help protect the Postal Service from being blamed for election irregularities. Other ones, though, they said the legislation is not enough to prevent potential fraud. This is good, but until you have some kind of voter identification attached to your mail-in ballot that's stronger than amateur handwriting experts assessing somebody's signature on the outside of an envelope, I think we're going to have a problem. That's from Andy Biggs, Republican from Arizona. Clay Higgins, my buddy down south Louisiana, the former sheriff in St. Landry Parish. You hear him out there with that long Cajun brawl? Well, he said the legislation would give a false sense of security because there's no way of verifying the legitimacy of the contents of the envelope. On social media, people expressed concerns over the usefulness of the ability to track a mail ballot in the absence of voter ID. Others expressed that the ability to track mail ballots would not prevent people from casting multiple votes. Here's the thing. It would be a start. Take this structure that is included in this bill that it's already passed out of committee. 
take it back into committee and listen to these issues that are pointed out from these people and include them in the bill. Come up with an answer, a way to overcome those. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple. But I think a lot of times things that come out of Congress, they are complicated. And it doesn't mean that they needed to be complicated, but people want to put their two cents in. They want to be able to say, hey, that's my bill. My name's on that bill. When it really isn't anything they created, they just signed on to the legislation before it ever gets in committee or even after committee. We got to get it fixed. We've got to get it fixed. And we can't wait until 2024, November. We just can't do it. Let's get it fixed now. Be very transparent about it. Listen to and get the input from people that are already involved in the mechanisms of the process and tweak them. You don't have to blow it up all the time. Tweak the processes and quickly get, quickly get to the bottom of this and get it fixed and get it fixed. That's the key. The only thing we want is to get it fixed. We know there's one thing we haven't even addressed this morning. Didn't in the first hour. Well, the first hour's not up. But I guess one of the big bombs it came yesterday, it was not unex it wasn't not expected. Everybody knew that if uh, the Republicans won control of the House back, and they do have the majority as of now, it's it had the 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 point where they had to get to was 218 Republicans. They got that already, and yesterday it went up one. They've got 219 now. But everybody knew that Nancy Pelosi, it was imminent for her to turn her gavel over to someone else. Well, obviously, she would be doing that if she stays in Congress. She would be handing it over to a Republican that will replace her as Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy of California looks like he's going to be the guy. Yesterday, it was a huge, huge um, conversation, I want to say, arguments and conversations around the nation about Nancy Pelosi's leadership. But the only thing in this that I was really concerned about is what about the power, the change of power? Can Kevin McCarthy handle it? Is he going to have a bunch of people underneath him that he relies on for facts and information to keep him in the right way? Because there is no way one person can do that. It just won't work. And we have had an authoritarian as Speaker of the House, and she, she just shoved down the throats of the American people. So many rules, so many rule changes, so many bills, and they did it so quickly. Over and over again, they skipped what we call regular order, which that means every bill goes through the applicable committee or committees, and amendments are made there if they're necessary. They have debates over and over again on the bill itself, on the amendments, and then at the end of all of this, they take a vote in that committee to see if they want to let it go on to the House to be debated on the floor. 90% of legislation 
doesn't go through that process anymore. Leadership, party leadership, whoever's in charge, in case of the last few years, it's been Democrats, they come up with the bills, they structure the bills the way they want it to go, and then when they have uh, the uh, all the say-so in, in the House and in the Senate, whatever the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader in the Senate want to do, what bills to go to the floor and how it's going to be debated, they have autonomy to do just that. Now there's a new sheriff in town, and the new sheriff is named Republican. Republican. So back to Nancy Pelosi. She has formally stepped down. She won't actually give her her job up until after January 1st. But there's going to be a new House Speaker. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I thought it would be good if we listened to one of the Los Angeles TV stations and their initial report about Speaker Pelosi becoming former Speaker Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, the most powerful Democrat in Congress, is stepping down from her leadership role after nearly two decades. The Speaker of the House says now is the time for a new generation of leaders in the Democratic caucus. As Evan Lambert reports, she will continue to represent her constituents in San Francisco. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. After two decades as the leader of the Democrats in the House, Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she is ready to pass the torch to the next generation. The House floor packed for this much-anticipated announcement. Pelosi spoke for nearly 20 minutes, sentimentally outlining what the House of Representatives and her leadership has meant to her and her family. For my dear husband, Paul. A mention of her husband, Paul Pelosi, who is recovering from what the San Francisco District Attorney calls a politically motivated attack last month led to a standing ovation. She also touched on one of her most harrowing moments as speaker, being ushered into hiding as a mob attacked the Capitol on January 6th. With these elections, the people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundingly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. In touting her work with presidents of both parties, she also took a shot at former President Donald Trump by leaving him out. I have enjoyed working with three presidents. Now attention turns to who is next to lead Democrats in a Republican-controlled House. The top three leadership positions appear to be taking shape as several current leaders endorse Rep. Hakeem Jeffries for minority leader, Rep. Catherine Clark for minority whip, and Rep. Pete Aguilar for caucus chair. The likely number one, Jeffries, who would be the first black party leader of the House or Senate, tweeting after Pelosi's announcement, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the greatest of all time. Thank you for all you have done for America. And some Republicans are also honoring Pelosi. Former Speaker Paul Ryan tweeting, I tip my cap as I welcome Speaker Pelosi to the former Speaker's Club and congratulate her on a historic career in the House. In a statement released after Pelosi's speech, President Biden called her, quote, the most consequential speaker of the House of Representatives in our history. I agree with the president. Nancy Pelosi is or was the most consequential speaker of the House. And consequentially, it wasn't necessarily for good stuff. It was for Democrat Party stuff. 
And she was an expert at ramming stuff through the House of Representatives, getting it on the floor, getting a vote on it, and getting an yay vote on issues and sending it over to the Senate. She was good. Who's going to be next? The odds-on favorite right now is Hakeem Jeffries. You'll hear more and more about Hakeem Jeffries. You'll recognize his face. He's African-American. He's got evil eyes. He was part of the impeachment process, both of the impeachment attempts against Donald Trump. They desperately wanted to remove him from office at the end of his term as president. And uh, they didn't they didn't get him removed. He didn't get reelected. So I guess they got their wish in part. But they really wanted to hang him on a cross, crucify him and kill him. So they wouldn't have to worry about him coming back again like it appears he's going to in 2024. But Jeffries is, he's kind of been the only guy named. The two right behind Nancy Pelosi are in their 80s. And it's just not realistic for a guy or a woman that old to take or try to take the speaker's job. So we're going to have to wait and see, but there will be somebody in the house that will be the minority leader. And that's a tough job because you're going into it and you're not in charge. You're going to have to beg when you want to go get something done. You know what I mean? And a bunch of people don't want to go down that road. I want to do something that we don't do often here. I want to circle back to the previous topic, one of the previous topics that we were talking about today, and that's that FTX crypto scandal that we've just seen the beginning of. And so I want to get a little specific. This FTX scandal includes tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe tens of billions of dollars. But a bunch of it went to the pockets, as we talked about earlier, of politicians. And I thought it was uh, good to go back and maybe, just maybe, get another opinion or two on what's going to happen in this fallout from FTX. Look who's here, former economic advisor to former President Trump, Steve Warren. Steve, Democrats still have not returned their tens of millions in campaign donations. Some of them are giving them to charity. I mean, this guy now running the bankruptcy, he's the guy running it. He, he liquidated Enron. He's saying he's speechless. He's never seen anything like it, Steve. Just let me walk you through the numbers. It's like throwing money into a furnace. Only 740 million lowercase m in Magic Beans cryptocurrency that's left against anywhere from $10 billion to even $50 billion in liabilities, Steve. So this was the classic Ponzi scheme. We remember we saw this about 15 years ago, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the Bernie Madoff scandal. And by the way, don't forget, Liz, guess who he gave all his uh, campaign contributions to? Democrats. Uh, it's amazing how many of these crooks are big Democrat uh, campaign contributors. Now, Here's the important thing about this, is this was money that was basically defrauded from investors. It was a, it was a fraud scheme. He's a criminal. This was yeah. a crime. This you know, was we, we got to go through the bankruptcy filing. 
this guy, Steve, he personally, Sam Bankman-Fried, he took a billion-dollar loan out of Alameda Research. That's FTX Sixter Company. Right. His co-founder took out a half-a-billion-dollar loan. Also, company money was blown on luxury homes in the Bahamas. There was no accounting department, even no listing of customer liabilities of the financial statements. He, we know he took, Pete, he took from Peter to pay Paul $8 billion, but he packed his FTX board with CFTC officials who worked under George W. and under Obama, even the former representative chair of House Agricultural. Then he sat down and met with the Biden White House, the CFTC and the SEC and Congress to weaken government oversight of crypto exchanges. Yeah, so he was, I mean, basically what you're saying is that he was buying off these Democrats to give him cover. Now, what I, the, the first important point is that it is, it is um, so, it is a matter of moral ethics that these uh, Democrats who received, and we don't know the exact amount of money, but it was well over $50 million that was basically given to Democratic campaign ca uh, campaigns. Those candidates have a moral responsibility and maybe a legal responsibility, I'm not a lawyer, to return that money and it should go into a fund to, so that that money can, can be returned to the investors. The Democrats are resisting that, Liz. They don't want to do it. Yeah, why? Uh, they, they, Wait, you know, here's the yeah. thing. You know, I, I covered corporate accounting scandals. It, it's circular. Here's what goes on. FDX gave big campaign donations to politicians. Then they, they lobbied lawmakers and government officials, right. also Congress. Congress approves the budget and paychecks for, the, for those market cops. He was right. hiring CFTC market cops to sit on the board. The, you know, so you see how it's circular. The, you know, so what's going on yes. is he demanded the CFTC be his only regulator, not the SEC, that the CFTC alone would directly only only them would clear his company's crypto trades. No middlemen, no guardrails, no intermediaries. He wanted to use algorithms rather than brokers to help clear trades. And, and by the way, this is exactly what happens over time with almost all regulatory agencies, they get captured by the industries that they're supposed to be regulating, right? This has been happening for 40 years. This is just an extreme example. I mean, I gotta tell you, this isn't the only company that is doing this. So there's two issues. One is the Democrat, we have to keep pressure. I hope you will at Fox News and Fox Business, keep pressure day after day that these Democrats have to give this money back. Number two, I'm not convinced that more regulation is the issue here. We had a major financial scandal in 2008, which was the, one of the biggest financial scandals in American history with the housing crisis. And that was the most regulated industry of all. I mean, the housing mortgage was basically run by the government. So I'm not one who says, oh, now we have to run in and regulate the cryptos. Because the problem with that, Liz, and I'm on the, I'm on the board of a crypto company, the reason that investors like cryptos is because they are not controlled by government, that they're alternatives to the Federal Reserve and the, and the uh, central bankers and the fiat currency. So we'll see how that all evolves. But this is a mega scandal that, should, that is right at the doorstep of the Democratic Party. Steve Moore, come back soon. It's great to have you on. It's good to see you. Okay, thanks, Liz. Let me tell you one of the best things about cryptocurrency, and I'm in crypto, not very large amount, but in crypto. But what's neat about it is the government can't access your crypto account unless you give them specific ac access. They can't come in, 
to whatever crypto trading platform you're on and grab your cryptocurrency. They can't do it. The way it works is transactions are all individual and are known and operated only by the person that has the crypto and the person who gets a crypto transaction from that that seller. It's not like in a bank. They can't call somebody. The federal government can't send a letter and lock your cryptocurrency accounts up. Big Brother doesn't like that. You can bet your bippy they're going to do everything within their power to find ways to keep you and me from accessing our accounts that we open in cryptocurrency. And by the way, you don't have to use any of the big exchanges. You can do it personally. There are ways to do it. It's a very, very complicated market, a very, very complicated place to put your money. So if you want to get into cryptocurrency, make sure you hook up with somebody that is literally an expert that can talk to you about the potential dangers that can point to you and maybe explain to you why what they're doing is different from the way FTX was operating to give you a sense of understanding and relief. Don't do anything in any financial way, investment of any kind, unless you talk to people that you know are known experts and they can sit down and have a conversation with you and talk to you, not at you, talk to you and listen until you get to a point of where you are comfortable. If you don't see or feel that coming, stand up and walk away, say thank you and leave. It's your money, and they want your money. They want your money to be invested with them. Why? So they can make money by you making money. That's what it's all about. There's nothing different in that regard from a a stock market. A Dow Jones Industrial account was one of the companies where you uh, created an account and invest through them. Let's talk about Uncle Joe. I mean, we barely mentioned him, and we're an hour and 10 minutes into the show. His administration has taken us, I don't need to tell you this, but I will anyway, taken us drastically. We're out of step with other countries on several key medical issues. Much of Biden's domestic messaging, it centers around painting all of his opponents as radicals. And if you disagree with him like I do on 99% of his policies, he's branded me as a radical, and you the same way if you think like I do. And it's particularly as it concerns Republicans and claims of fraud back in the 2020 election. Biden has staked out positions far outside the realm of normality within the Western world by supporting late-term abortion, COVID-19 vaccination of kids, and sex change treatments for minors. His administration has broken with its peers, mostly recently on the question of fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. At the behest of the Biden administration, the FDA and the CDC have authorized and recommended COVID-19 primary series vaccines for all kids six months and older and booster shots for kids age five and up. Local. Doctors, your doctor, my doctor, they're not scientists, they're doctors. And they take a lot of their cues from 
entities like the FDA and the CDC. We now know both of those organizations are flooded with, and because they're flooded with what I'm about to tell you they're flooded with, they make their decisions of approval and recommendation no longer based on the medical efficacy of a drug or a medical device. It's all based on money, including vaccines for kids. I can only imagine how much money companies like Pfizer put out there in the marketplace for all of these doctors and these doctor groups and organizations to accept some of that money themselves, these groups, and then get their members to accept it themselves and then promote vaccines. So despite concerns about heart inflammation conditions, we hear it all the time. In young men in particular, every authorized COVID-19 shot in the U.S. is recommended for even healthy children as young as five years old who face little risk of serious illness from the virus itself. And they're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. This has been the most confusing aspect of the nation's response to not recognize the profound age gradient and the risk of severe disease from COVID-19. That's Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease specialist at the University of California, San Francisco. Not a real conservative university, I think you'll agree. Children are profoundly less at risk of severe COVID disease than adults. The UK provided the best data on these stats as the CDC, unfortunately, was plagued by data coding errors, problems with data transparency, and programming errors during COVID-19. Now, let's stop right there. Do you think there might have been some purposeful misunderstanding of the facts and purposeful problems with the data transparency. Just all of a sudden, that popped up. You think there may be some coordination there? Most of the rest of the world has been far more reserved on vaccine kids. The WHO took far longer than U.S. health authorities to recommend healthy kids get vaxxed. And even today, still says that only children who are at a higher risk of severe illness should be prioritized for vaccination. Otherwise, healthy kids should only be offered vax once all of the groups have been sufficiently covered. Sweden, for example, only recommends certain groups of minors get vaccinated, and that depends on their risk level. The UK does not vax children under five and only offers boosters to those 16 and older or with health complications. In Canada, kids age five and older may be offered a booster dose, but it's only recommended if they have comorbidities. Nonetheless, our country, the good old USA, unlike the UK or Europe, has failed to take the profound age gradient into account when they make recommendations for all of us and schools, by the way, leading to the polarization and the discord in our response. Look, it boils down to this. The Biden administration's instructions and who they cover and who they're going to demand and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't make sense 
to average Americans. All of this push, 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 get vaxxed, get vaxxed, get vaxxed, get boosted, get boosted, get boosted. All of this push does not relate to any science, real science that's out there. And remember, Fauci was the guy who preached, oh, over and over and over again for a year or longer, we can't plan on having vaccinations ready for the market for at least three years, more likely five to 10 years. That's the way it works in the healthcare industry when vaccinations are being put together and then jabbed into the arms of Americans. He told us that in the very beginning, over and over. And then what happened? Hey, 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 we got a chance. We got this thing that has been in the laboratory and it's not been tested. Human trials, nothing elaborate like that. But we're at a point, we're in an emergency situation. We need to go ahead and start jabbing all these people. You remember that? And then we find out later, well, they don't work. They don't work. They don't stop the receiver of the vaccine from getting COVID. They don't stop that person from transmitting COVID to somebody else. Worst of all, it lowers their autoimmune systems and they're more susceptible to getting reinfected with COVID or if they haven't had it yet, getting COVID and it being a worse case of it. Right now, today, two good friends of mine, husband and wife, who had COVID-19 vaccinations, they were both healthy, never had any serious health problems. Less than 60 days after getting vaccinated, the man began to have serious heart problems. And it really became a serious problem, almost one of the kinds that he's going to have to have surgery, be in the hospital for a while. He had a pacemaker permanently put in his body. And then the wife, she's never had any health problems. 60 days later, she finds out she has MS. Now, does Getting the shot, does that automatically mean those are the sources of these things? No, it doesn't automatically mean that. But it's pretty, pretty, pretty close to making it believable. And then there's one more thing that happened. Both of them today are dealing with COVID-19 in their home, in their own bodies. And it's worse than they ever had or could even believe it would get both of them, vaxxed and boosted. Stories like that are all over the United States and the UK. President Biden has also staked out a friend's position by supporting the irreversible sex changes for kids. I just don't get this. I don't understand this at all. The administration has thrown its full support behind sex reassignment treatments for minors. From puberty blockers and hormone therapies to permanently body-altering surgeries, removing breast or genitals. Assistant Secretary for Health and Admiral Rachel Levine, you've seen her, she's a transgender, said recently trans children had the full support of the highest level of the U.S. government. Most other developed nations are not rushing head-on into changing the sex of their kids. Britain's National Health Service recently moved to ban puberty blockers for minors outside strict clinical trials. 
and he shut down its largest youth gender clinic, did the prime minister. In 2020, liberal bashed in Finland acknowledged that gender dysphobia can often be a phase, particularly if it comes about while they're kids, adolescents, and restricted when and how gender-affirming treatments can be given to minors as a result. Sweden has similarly scaled back the allowance of cross-gender hormone treatments for kids because of uncertain science. Even some progressive feminist activists and organizations, those are the ones that we always see align with Biden and other Democrats on a bunch of issues. They have characterized his position on transgender treatments as extreme. We are deeply disturbed by the way in which the Biden administration seems to have wholeheartedly embraced harmful medical procedures carried out on vulnerable children. That came from Dr. Mari Irvine, executive director of the Women's Liberation Front, a self-described radical feminist organization. The Biden folks would be better served if they serve children by ensuring that they all have access to high-quality counseling services rather than promoting unnecessary medical interventions, Irvine continued. If it's not one thing, it's something else. COVID-19, a pandemic, transgenderism, and then doing babies, sex changes. I just can't believe that our political representatives in the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate would allow this to happen. I can't believe they haven't crafted legislation that puts all those decisions right back where they demand abortion has always been and should be. In the hands, in the minds, in the responsibility of moms and dads and doctors, not politicians. You know what? I trust my doctor. My doctor's really good, and he knows me really well. Tom Waterfallen is his name. He worked us and led us, both Marianne and me and others in our family and even close friends. He led us through the COVID-19 horrors and kept us safe without vaccines. I know there were people listening that just went into shock when I said we haven't been vaccinated. We haven't been. And guess what? We're not going to be. The only way that I would ever receive a vaccination against COVID-19 would be if they either gave me a shot and put me under and did it or tied me up. And I promise you, I'm a big boy. I'm not going to go down without fighting if that should happen. I'm just saying there are too many things out there that I know personally can happen and most of the time do happen to people that get COVID-19 vaccines. These vaccines, none of them, have been approved. If you haven't heard me say this before, listen. None of the vaccines for COVID-19 have been approved by the FDA. They have been temporarily placed in emergency use authorization status. They haven't been approved. Well, why then are they being jabbed into people and have been jabbed into people? Because 
America based on the quote-unquote science and the doctor, the god of the healthcare world, Anthony Fauci, told us all, not only was it safe to get it done, we need to get it done because if we don't get vaxxed, we're going to get COVID ourselves and die. And while we're dying, we're going to give COVID-19 to somebody else. Now we find out the vaccines don't work, the boosters don't work, and there are horrible adverse reactions to the vaccinations that are happening. And it has anything to do with having problems with your eyes temporarily or death and everything in between. And the FDA hasn't authorized them. What does that mean? Why that, you, you don't think that was purposeful? Heck yeah. And the purpose is very simple. The FDA has the option, the board does, of proving a drug and saying it's good enough to be in the marketplace and fully approving it. Or they can put a emergency use authorization only in there where doctors have to be involved in the process. That's called an EUA. Or just say, no, we're going to disprove it. What's the difference? If it's an EUA status and something happens to you, if you take a vaccine from a drug that's in that status and you have adverse reactions, I don't care how serious they are. You can't sue the, the medical company, the pharma pharma company that created that vaccine. I'm talking about Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J. You can't sue them. When a drug is in EUA authorization only status, the United States government is on the hook. So if you sue anybody, you'd have to sue the government. That's a fun job. But that's just part of the equation. The only one that really matters to me is what happens to Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson. They're making tens of millions of dollars, even hundreds of millions of dollars on the sale of these drugs. And you know who is buying 99.9% of their production of these drugs? You and I, the American taxpayers. You go get a vax right now, you're not going to pay for it. Why? Your federal government stepped up and took care of it. And now you're not going to get sick. And by the way, you're not going to give anybody else the sickness. You're going to be fine. And it's all untrue. And also, I'll just throw this out there for you. Why could they be doing this? The love of money is the root of all evil. Follow the money. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. 
to our work. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Mike Johnson was on with us the other day, and he made it very clear all of the stuff you're hearing about what the Republicans are going to do once they get in power. None of it can formally begin until January 3rd. That's when they take office, and uh, Kevin McCarthy will take the gavel from former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But knowing that that is right around the corner and that the Republicans are going to have power, be the majority in the House of, Repre- uh, House of Representatives where a lot of the investigation stuff happens when it's necessary. Members of the Republican Party are already teeing it up. One of those is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and he has set his sights on FBI Director Christopher Ray. Listen to this. Famous Chairman, uh, Director Ray, uh, you made a comment here in answer to the chairman's questioning that you are committed to working with this committee. You'll excuse me if uh, I find those words ring incredibly hollow. I had to subpoena you as chairman of this committee. I really didn't get anything. I've written repeated letters, either with no response whatsoever or a non-response response. It's one of the reasons, and I'm very grateful to all the whistleblowers that are coming forward to various committees, to various members, uh, people of integrity within your organizations, uh, blowing the whistle on the corruption at some of the highest levels of the FBI. Um, First question, do you commit publicly that the FBI will not retaliate against those whistleblowers? Senator, we will not retaliate against whistleblowers. I take the protections uh, that are in law and regulation of whistleblowers extremely seriously. Good, just we'll like hold you I to take, that. Okay, just like next. I take compliance with all of our other rules very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Grassley wrote you a letter on July 25th of 2020 in which uh, he said that whistleblowers to his office uh, reported that FBI officials initiated a scheme to downplay derogatory information on Hunter Biden for the purpose of shutting down investigatory activity related to his potential criminal exposure by labeling it, quote, disinformation. Boy, that's a, that's a familiar term. Uh, that scheme was hatched in August of 2020. Uh, also included, he said, in August 2020, FBI supervisory, supervisory intelligence analyst Brian Auten opened an assessment which was used by FBI headquarters team to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as disinformation and cause investigative activity to cease. Have you responded to uh, Senator Grassley's letter that he wrote over three months ago? Uh, Senator, I know there have been a whole slew of letters. I believe we've responded to a number of them, but I'm sitting here right I, I, now, I can't you, tell you, you which you, ones you have responded not. to and which ones uh, Have you not. looked into those charges that there was a scheme hatched in August 2020 to downplay the derogatory information on Hunter Biden. Have you looked into that personally? 
We have, as we speak, uh, a number of personnel matters that are underway, and I, for as reasons I'm sure you can appreciate, we can't discuss. Well, I know that's always your excuse. Matters. No, I, I got it. I, I understand how you remain above the law by using that excuse repeatedly. Uh, the reason I'm a little sensitive uh, on August, August uh, 2020 is that on August 6th, both Senator Grassley and I received an unsolicited briefing by members of the FBI, which I knew was immediately was a setup. No new information whatsoever. Uh, I knew it was a setup, and I was correct because nine months later, on May 1st, it was leaked to the Washington Post to smear me. I have written you publicly a number of times asking who directed that briefing. Are you prepared to tell me in public who directed that briefing now? Senator, when, first off, I can't discuss specific defensive briefings more broadly, and that's a long-standing practice. So tell, tell, me, tell, tell me then why have you refused to meet with us to privately tell us who directed that briefing? So if I may finish my answer to the question. It's long-standing practice not to discuss specific defensive briefings. We have, as my understanding, responded in writing to a letter that you sent, I think, it's all it's just beer, it's bureaucratic, it's bureaucratic gobbledygook is what that is. And, that's and not a response. We offered in that letter to provide a senior executive of the FBI to walk through in detail our process. What your process is, but not specifically who directed a briefing that was used to smear me. Have you looked into the leaking of that briefing to the Washington Post? Have you investigated that? I'm not going to discuss specific investigations. As to the briefing question and who directs it, let me be very clear about this. When it comes to election-related defensive briefings, there is not a single person who makes that decision. That is an interagency process that was set up by the prior administration, signed off on by the former president, well, there, there are, by there the are, Office of the Director There are persons in that interagency, correct? So there would be persons... So we should know who those persons are. Why, why won't you tell us who directed that briefing, the persons then? I would refer you to the process that was put in place, and we can give you more information about the process if you would like. Have you read Senator Grassley's and my report uh, on Hunter Biden's corruption uh, issued in September of 2020 and November of 2020? Have you read those reports? I have had a chance to look at it. Do you see any sign of Russian disinformation in those reports? That would be a hard question for me to answer. No, it's a very easy, yeah. it's a very easy. What I would say to It's you. a very easy answer. There is no Russian disinformation. That report is completely clean of any interference of foreign influence. Although we have been falsely accused, including by the chairman of this committee, of spreading Russian disinformation. Do you, are you aware of the FBI having any involvement whatsoever in the October 19, 2020 public statement by 51 former intelligence officials? I'm not aware of any involvement by the FBI in what you're describing. The, the reason I ask is if it's true that uh, in August of 2020, the FBI initiated a scheme to downplay derogatory information on Hunter Biden, it would seem like maybe part of that scheme would be to get intelligence officials to issue a letter that stated that the 
laptop had all the earmarks of a Russian information operation. That was totally false. We now know that the Hunter laptop is completely authentic. Don't you get tired of these exchanges like this when we hear it? It's like nobody that works in the government is a, accountable to the people that are supposed to be accountable. It's amazing to me that obviously so much horrors, illegalities, poor judgments are made or people just shut up and clamp down and won't say anything. They won't report anything. And regarding appointees like FBI Director Christopher Wray, who you just heard from, they don't care. It seems like they just don't care. And so the reason I'm playing these tidbits for you is I'm setting up the stage for what's about to happen. It's going to be as ugly as we've ever seen in your lifetime or mine if things go the way that Republicans in leadership are telling us and they're already teeing it up and they're already going to the press and it's being reported and the big guy is in the bullseye. Who would be the big guy? That would be Joe Biden. And it would be along with his son, who is not in politics. He's not ever held any kind of public position. So he's not accountable in that regard to you and me. But every American has responsibilities to make sure they don't commit illegal acts that come into the vision of law enforcement, of the Department of Justice, or any other federal office or anybody that can hold anybody accountable. The problem is, right now in government, you're a Democrat, you pretty much, you get a skate-free card. And that's what's happened so far with Joe Biden. But now we are being told this committee's investigation, when they take power on January 3rd, they will be formally investigating Joe Biden for illegal acts. Now, we've been down this road before a couple of times with former President Donald Trump. Now, let me, I'm going to prepare you for what's ahead. And it's going to begin before the formal investigations begin and witnesses start being called, and there are going to be hearings that you and I can watch and some that will be confidential and we'll have classified conversations that can only happen with the doors closed. Those kind of things happen in the Trump administration. But we're not going to hear it beginning in January. You're about to see an explosion from mainstream media here, and they're going in defense mode, not for themselves, but for their hero, Joe Biden. And this is not just about the President of the United States. It's not just about the FBI director or the director, the Attorney General, who directs all of the goings-on in the Department of Justice. It has to do with some of the underlings. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to one specific underling that is probably going to come into the scope of what we're talking about today. Guess who that would be? I'm waiting. You got a name in your mind? Mine would be, um, 
Alejandro Mayorkas. How about you? Senator Hawley, you're recognized for your questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thanks again to the witnesses for being here. Mr. Secretary, nice to see you. I didn't get to visit with you last time, so let's, let's start with you. I think my colleagues have established, given what we're seeing on the southern border, the, the massive increase in illegality there, that that's clearly not a priority for your agency. So let's talk about what appears to be, and that is spying on Americans and censoring their speech. You have turned your agency into a censorship machine. Now, you said earlier this year that you disbanded the Disinformation Governance Board, which I thought was totally unconstitutional, but that turns out to be at best misleading. That's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what you're doing. Your own quadrennial review, which was just reported in the press, says that disinformation is going to be the new focus at DHS. The quad review says that DHS plans to target, I'm quoting now, inaccurate information domestically on a wide array of subjects, including, quoting, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support from, for Ukraine. This is what you're devoting your agency's resources to. So I guess my first question is, is an American citizen who criticizes COVID mandates now to be treated as a domestic terrorist? Of course not, and I'd like to say three things since uh, you have three inaccuracies in the question you posed to me. Number one, border security is a priority of ours. Number two, the department does not censor speech. And number three, we did not publish a quadrennial review. Does it exist, the quadrennial review? I believe it is uh, being worked on. Well, it, it's been published in the media. Will you make it public? Uh, when it is final, it will be public. Mr. Chairman, uh, without objection, I'd like to enter the, this article called The Truth Cops, published in The Intercept. Uh, here's my question, then. If, if you're not censoring speech and if you're not treating Americans as domestic terrorists, then why is it that you're pressuring big tech to treat American citizens as if they're threats to the homeland? Why are you pressuring them to censor speech? Let me just let me just take let's take a look at some new documents that have come to light that show what your administration is doing, this administration is doing to censor speech. Let's take a look at this email from July 16th, 2021. It's over my shoulder here. Facebook emailing HHS saying, I know our teams met today to better understand the scope of what the White House expects from us on misinformation going forward. Are you familiar with that email? No. Let's try another one. And if I should, how about hold on, hold on, that, 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 hold, on. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, we'll get to that. But you're not familiar with this, all right? Let's try a different one. Here's one from July 20th, 2021. The White House emails Facebook saying, "Any way we can get this pulled down?" 46 seconds later, Facebook responds, "Yep, we're on it." Are you familiar with that email? No. Okay. How about how about this one? July 23rd, 2021. Facebook employee writes to HHS, says, thank you for taking the time to meet today. Wanted to make sure you saw the steps we took just this past week to adjust policies and what we are removing with respect to misinformation. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, Senator, we do not instruct. Just, just, yes, just yes or no. Uh, no, because I'm the okay. secretary of DHS. Well, I'm asking you that because it's funny you say that. A federal judge has just found as a finding of fact, Mr. Secretary, that your office, and I'm going to quote now, is supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. It's a federal judge in a federal lawsuit. You are supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. Here's another email, August 20th, 2021. Facebook 
writes again to HHS and highlights that Facebook is increasing the strength of our demotions for COVID and vaccine-related content. April 16th, 2021, Rob Flaherty at the White House circulates a Zoom meeting invitation to Twitter employees stating White House staff will be briefed by Twitter on vaccine misinformation. We have example after example of this administration coordinated, apparently, according to a federal court, by your agency, pressuring, coercing social media companies to engage in censorship. Is that constitutional? That is unequivocally false. It's what the emails show. It is unequivocally false, Senator. You are not pressuring the big tech companies to take down accounts. You are not meeting with them to ask them to censor on your behalf. That is correct. We are not. You're not having any meetings with them whatsoever. Uh, we meet with um, the tech companies. How often? To address, to address the Homeland Security mission. How often do you for, meet with them? For example, for example, online child sexual exploitation is a scourge in this country, and we have an obligation to address it. You're saying that, that no one in your office has ever met with coordinated or otherwise engaged in any contact with a social media company in which you spoke to them about vaccine mandates, about uh, COVID mask mandates, about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, about the, with, about the current uh, U.S. involvement in Ukraine. None of that has ever happened. I, I don't know what you're referring to, Senator. And I can Read the emails. And I can tell you this. Well, you've, you've actually cited emails outside of our department. But if I've I, cited a federal judge who says your department is engaged in supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. Here's my point, Mr. Secretary. It has been established for years in this country, as you very well know because you're a lawyer, that the federal government may not use private third parties to engage in activities that are unconstitutional. That's exactly what you and this administration are doing. You are leveraging private companies to carry out censorship on your behalf. It's dystopian, but worse than that, it's unconstitutional. It's also false. There you go. Alejandro Mayorkas once again plays innocent. I know nothing. I know Nothing. You remember Hogan's Heroes? You remember Sergeant Schultz? Every time he saw something that he thought was wrong and knew it was bad, when he was asked about it, he would tell everybody, I know nothing. That's exactly what Mayorkas is doing. Let me ask you this. Are you in the same spot I am about all of this? I really would like to see our Congress do something about this not just about what you just heard, but about the fact that this guy, Alejandro Mayorkas, is single-handedly ushering in two million illegal immigrants every year. And we don't know who's coming in. We do know there's no vaccine mandate for them. They don't have to be in the system. They don't have to register their social security number. Oh, they don't have one. Well, They don't have to register themselves and this administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, he just find ways to push them out in the communities around the nation. Much of that pushing out happens in the dark of night. And we don't even know where these people are. That doesn't sound like the United States of America to me. It doesn't sound like these people that take these oaths of office to the people of America, to the government. You know, and they give us that oath to protect us from all, all illegalities 
internationally and domestically. This guy, he just blows both of those out of the water. And yet, I hope, like you do, we're going to be able to get something done about this. I got to be honest with you, every time there's a new administration, I go into it with hope, and I end up on the outside of it, at least so far this this last few administrations. It doesn't happen. Why is that? It's because they're all in the same boat. They're in the federal government. They all kind of are in a circle looking at each other across the circle, and they're all doing the same stuff, and nobody wants to make somebody else do anything right, and they don't want to hold anybody else accountable, and you know why? Because they don't want to anybody else in that circle to hold them accountable. I'm praying for a new sheriff. I'm praying for people in this majority in the House of Representatives to pull out the guns and start shooting instead of just playing games with what they say and how they say it. I got to be honest with you. I don't know how much longer American citizens are just going to sit there and watch our government and hear our government lie to us while they're flushing the commode and down the commode is going all of our rights and liberties and freedoms. And oh, by the way, along with that is the structure, the foundations of the greatest country in world history, the United States of America. Wide available in 1800 plus cities. Uh-oh. Somebody, that would be me, hit the wrong button. I apologize for that. Back on the other side. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. This next piece of information just grabbed my attention. It's about Gavin Newsom, governor of California. It's about his state, California, on his watch. 
is expected to have a $25 billion, $25 billion with a B. That's a budget deficit in 2023-2024 as people and businesses are picking up stakes and leaving the state in droves, according to a projection by the state's legislative analyst office. That's the LAO. The LAO two days ago predicted that the California budget's going to operate in a deficit due to tax revenues falling $41 billion below budget projections. Think about that. $41 billion. Recent stats show there is less corporate and startup activity in the state with corporate tax revenue expected to decline by $6 billion over the next year. $6 billion going down the pike. Now, if you listen to Gavin Newsom on the stump, he gets out there and he brags about all of this money, this business experience and these companies that they're attracting to come to California, and it's never been better before. They're even sending checks out. The government is in California. Checks out to help people through what we're facing now with all of our inflation. Isn't that nice? And they're going to have a deficit this coming year, $41 billion. Under our outlook, the LAO would face a budget problem of $25 billion in 2023-2024. The budget problem is mainly because of lower revenue estimates, which are lower than budget projections from 21 and 23 by $41 billion. Revenue losses are offset by lower spending in some areas, according to the report. But their deficits are out the wazoo, not only because there's not as much money coming in, but Gavin Newsom is spending more and more and more. Over the last, what is this, November? So it would be over the last 10 months, companies held initial public offerings, those are IPOs in California, compared to 2021, just nine. When 81 companies conducted IPOs back in 2020. Furthermore, the nine IPOs were only 2% of all U.S. companies that went public in 2022 compared to 21 when California represented with their IPOs 39% of all businesses that went public in the nation, the largest of any state. I got to be honest with you, Gavin Newsom is posturing himself for a run for the White House. Nobody will credibly say otherwise. But what does he have to show the people of the nation that he's done successfully that would somehow justify him moving into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Think about that. I can't think of a single thing. Oh, I mean, he has done some things, he's punished some people, but he's thumbed his nose at the rule of law in his own state. He's been a a tyrant at the top all the way through the COVID-19 pandemic, and he's been an autocrat during that time. He was busted in numerous occasions, not even minding his own edicts that he put out for the people of California. I can't see him getting anywhere in politics beyond the state of California, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Because we know everything can happen. We hope things are going to be done and other things not done, but we don't have any assurances. 
It's called faith. Meanwhile, on the other side of the nation, Georgia's high voter turnout in the midterm elections. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Georgia. Oh my gosh, that evil Republican state legislature passed these voter fraud and voter oppression bills and signed them into law. The governor, he signed them into law. And this is going to mean voters won't be able to vote. Well, guess what? Georgia had a high voter turnout. Couple that with a favorable recent court ruling. All this has vindicated the state's election integrity act, which last year was denounced as a tool of voter suppression by President Biden, by an array of iconic American brands from Coca-Cola to Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, they thought that that law that was signed into law by Governor Brian Kemp was voter suppression, not because they read the, the law, but because Stacey Abram shouted from the mountaintops that it was, and it was going to keep African Americans from voting in Georgia. And it didn't happen. After the passage of that bill, Major League Baseball said it was moving the all-star game out of Atlanta. They went to Denver, and it cost vendors in Atlanta millions of dollars that would have come with the all-star game. Saying that decision to pull it out of Atlanta was the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport, the commissioner of Major League Baseball said Major League Baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions at the ballot box. Biden blasted the law as an atrocity, likening it to Jim Crow back in the 21st century. Now, here's what the law includes. Nobody talks about it. Popular, very popular election integrity safeguards, like, for example, signature matching. Uh Uh-oh, here's the evil one. Voter ID. Restrictions on drop boxes. A ban on the mass mailing of absentee ballot request forms to those who didn't ask for them. And mandatory citizenship checks. So who else besides MLB, Major League Baseball? Well, corporations like Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines publicly decried the law despite its broad support among Georgia voters. The law is unacceptable and does not match Delta's views. That came from the CEO, Ed Bastian, who sent a memo to employees calling the Republican attempt to make it harder for many underrepresented voters to exercise their constitutional right to elect their representatives. Koch's CEO, James Quincy, told CNBC at the time that this new Georgia voter law is unacceptable and a step backwards. Since then, the law has survived a challenge in federal court. In September this year, Obama appointed U.S. District Judge Steve Jones, ruled in a 288-page decision. Imagine This is a judge writing a decision on a case before him. 288 pages. Said the law is constitutional and the election integrity measures were not racially unfair, nor were they designed to suppress minority votes. Democrat Governor Gubernatorial Candidate Stacey Abrams' voter advocacy group Fair Fight, Inc. had challenged the law in a suit against 
Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Following her whipping, Abrams tweeted that it represented a hard-won victory. And by the way, in case you're wondering, Georgia set an all-time midterm early voting turnout. Think about that. Voter suppression. Voter suppression. We got to stop it. It's evil. And any of these voter suppression uh, measures that in that include some kind of voter ID, oh my gosh, those are certainly voter suppression measures. And they can't stand. They can't stand. All it was, folks, was Stacey Abram trying to make herself politically appropriate and necessary in the voter conversations happening in her state. Well, well, well. A little calm. (laughs) Let's turn down the notch a little bit. It's Friday. So what are you going to do this weekend? Make sure two things. Number one, go to church. If you don't have a church to go to, find somebody that can recommend one. Just spend a little time in quiet, thinking about things other than um, how much money you made last year and what you're going to have to do to make more money in 2023. Think about your family. And think about the things that are really important. Kind of reassess this weekend. It's a time of year where we do it. Every year at the end of the year. You guys have a great weekend, and don't forget, next week is Thanksgiving. TNN Live will not air on Thanksgiving Day, but we're with you everywhere else and every time. Have a great one. We'll see you Monday morning right here at TNN Truth News Network.